Blog Talk Radio. Welcome you to Africa on the Move. As your host, Brother Africa, it's always an honor and a privilege where we can speak truth to power and to provide you with information so that you can use it as a tool for liberation, as to help liberate your people and to help liberate humanity from all of the various forms of oppression. We welcome you to Africa on the Moon. Today's day is September 29th, 2019, and a focal feature for this particular program will be a conversation with Brother Baba Abiodi of the Last Port. But before we have this conversation, the first half of the program, we will talk about the works of Africa Awareness Association, its upcoming tour and festival that will be taking place. In the near future, then we will have that conversation with our brother, and we'll end the program with some of the things that are going on in your world and the community. That's our order for today. 
Right now, like always, we're Africa on the move. We in the seat. We will take the heat as we define it. We'll stand behind it. And we'll do that with our political analysts and panelists for the day, which right now we'll start off and say welcome to Brother Anthony to Africa on the move. Revolutionary greetings uh, to you, Brother Africa, uh, the fellow panelists and the listening audience. Thanks for having me on the program today. Uh, My name is Anthony Williams. I'm an organizer for the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. Objectivist Pan-Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Father Brother Anthony, we never bring in Brother Haki, and we'd like to welcome Brother Haki to Africa on the move. Brother, thanks for having me today. Uh, you know, my thing is all about institution building. And one of the things, you know, I was thinking seriously about the precarious existence of African life in society. And I read this article, and it's an article about a young man, young man by the name of Arthur Lamar Smith. He's a St. Louis, Missouri resident who was assassinated by a white police officer named Jason Stockley. The assassination of Mr. Smith, unlike most police killings, consisted of documentation at the early stages of this investigation. The officer lied, and DNA bore this out. The officer alleges the killing was in self-defense. Ironically, the onboard camera picked up the cop's voice saying he was going to kill this expletive. Now, a car chase ensued, <clears throat> excuse me, in, in part because the, the cop carried an unauthorized AK-47. Now, according to witnesses in the car, Mr. Smith's sense was something was not right. So as a consequence, he fled. Now, upon stopping the car of, the, of Mr. Smith, the cop pumped five to seven bullets into Mr. Smith. And showing that he was dead, the cop returned to his patrol car, confiscated something, and placed it next to the deceased's body. It was a gun. Uh, forensics informed uh, the district attorney that the only fingerprints on the weapon were the cops. The cop had planted the weapon, and uh, both the police web and forensics established this reality. And the district attorney concealed this evidence, and the judge later acquitted the, the, the cop. Uh, despite the over the, over the overwhelming evidence of the police murder of this young man. Now, the fact that all institutions involved in this case acted in a unified way to conceal evidence suggests laws are not enforced in a way that is protective of poor or working-class citizens. Now, if history is any indication of the systemic wrongs impact upon African poor people, etc., it seems institu- institutions are necessity or necessity are part of meeting the challenges of, of a system that sees African life as superfluous. So it seems to me that we had to get busy about building institutions because no matter where we come down ideologically, the bottom line has got a system in place that says that the African lives are not only superfluous, but uh, the existence is no longer needed. And so, therefore, they have to find some genius ways in terms of eliminating large numbers of African people. So clearly, our backs against the wall, and we have to have institutions. And Brother Africa, having said that, I just want to thank you for having me on the show. Thank you, Brother Haki. And following Brother Haki, we will now bring in Brother Moses. Brother Moses, welcome to Africa on the move. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Brother Africa, and greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice. My name is Robert Andrew Moses, and I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism during the government class back in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race-secure racism. 
I bear witness that there is one God, Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith, and that Mao Satan is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. And thank you once again, Brother Africa, for allowing me to be on the show. All right. We welcome all our panelists, and, of course, we welcome you, the audience. Feel free to call in at 323-679-0841 if you have any comments or views that you would like to articulate as we discuss them. As we stated earlier today, um, our first part of the program, we're going to place our emphasis on the Works of African Awareness Association. This organization has been doing outstanding work as it gears towards advancing the ongoing forward progress of African people. And one of the things it does on a yearly basis is that it has built a bridge to connect Africans in the U.S. to Africans in Cuba. And we're going to talk about their upcoming tour, as well as they are doing something very historic for the first time, which is they'll be organizing Richmond's first Pan-African International Festival of Culture and Unity to be held in Richmond, Virginia, for all Africans around the world to come together and make Africa the centerpiece and talk about how we're going to collectively move forward as a people. And this this great event will take place on October the 27th, 2019, 11 to 6.30 p.m., 11 a.m. to 6.30, 6.30, 2 p.m., 6.30 p.m. in Richmond, and um, you can come to Afro-Congo, 3302 Winsboro Road, to participate in this great festival. It's not going to just be about fun, but it's about true liberation for your people. So if you are down with your cause, I won't put Africa back in the right proper space. That's the place to be. So given the fact that I've stated all of this, let's bring in one of the members of the African Women's Association back to Brother Haiti. And Brother Haiti, I want you to set the stage for our listening audience. Why is it important to participate not only on the tour, but to come to this conference, which I understand it only takes place once every four years, where social movements, liberation movements, revolutionary movements get together in solidarity with Cuba once every four years. So this conference itself, what does it seek to achieve and why is it that the African Awareness Association is trying to get Africans to go to this conference? Well, I mean, there's a myriad of reasons why it's so important in terms of Africans' participation in this conference in Cuba. I think chief among them is that one of the things we have to look at, essentially we have to look at in terms of how the world is organized. You know, often we talk about this whole concept in terms of neoliberalism and what we're saying, essentially what we're saying is that the resources that exist in the world are fundamentally being the, given to the most wealthy people in society, which means that as a, as, as a result of that, what it means is that economies of states are systematically bankrupt uh, at the expense of uh, the wealth getting all the, all the resources. So clearly this kind of arrangement, economic arrangement, where the, the small amount of people get overwhelming number of resources is having a devastating impact on the lives or the development of nations around the world. And so clearly this, this kind of situation has to be, it has to be remedied. And the only way it can remedy it, first and foremost, we have to have some clarity in terms of precisely what's going on around the world in terms of neoliberal policies. And one of the things we have to clearly understand is that when we talk about neoliberalism, we understand that the leading corporate in terms of neoliberalism is the Western world. And particularly we talk about the United States in terms of the role it plays in terms of facilitating uh, poverty you know, throughout the world. And so if this situation needs to be remedied, then we have to have organization not just national organization, but international organization in terms of combating this. 
So Cuba gives us firsthand opportunity to actually to, to look at this phenomenon, to evaluate it, and to understand precisely, you know, how it imperils nations around the world and what we can do in terms of power, empowering nations around the world to essentially fight back. Because if we don't fight back, one thing is very, very clear, that the existence of a lot of people throughout the world uh, essentially um, uh, are in real, real trouble. So we have to have some means, some strategies by which to fight back. And so Cuba offers us that example in terms of, uh, of being uh, providing for us some clarity in terms of how we go about fighting back. You had to uh, state that so articulate. And I just go reinforce your point because the points you just raised goes precisely to one of the official statements that came from Havana around this conference. Around this conference, the call for to in solidarity or anti-imperialist meeting, so a solidarity or anti-imperialist meeting in favor of democracy and against neoliberalism. And he would state that the solidarity anti-imperialist meeting in favor of democracy and against liberalism, that's just what's going on today, and Cuba is calling for the so-called left progressive representative forces to come together, like you stated, in an organized fashion. That's what I like about it, Brother Hackey. This organized, and Cuba's not backing down, and Cuba refused to change its principles as it relates to being a country that being in the forefront of protecting and fighting for just causes. Your response to Cuban history of fighting for just causes? Well, that's no question about it. When we talk about in terms of taking the principles stand, I mean Cuba ranks up ranks there ranks up here in terms of historically being you know a state in which has been persistent and consistent in terms of its stand. You know, against imperialism. Uh, I think it's important that, you know, when you stand against imperialism, certainly that's a price to pay. And so often what happens is that nations often renege on their responsibility, their principles, and then therefore allow imperialism to take over. But Cuba, despite the aggressions of the United States in particular, has stand strongly in, you know, in, the, in opposition, you know, to its policies and to the kind of uh, things it does around the world in terms of facilitating, you know, uh, suffering injustice throughout the world. So this kind of example that Cuba sets in terms of being principled, in terms of actually standing up, is something that the world has to emulate. So certainly something that, you know, when we look at this situation, we talk about Mother Africa and totally kind of devastation that the continent is going through, that clearly we need leaders, you know, who incorporate you know, that kind of African, that, that, that kind of Cuban stand, which says that, you know, despite what you do, despite your machinations, despite the kind of uh, um, um, deception that you employ, in particular the West for the United States, Despite the kind of deception you employ, you know, we're going to stand strong. We're, going to be continue, we're committed to our principles. We're going to stand with those principles. And everything we do is in, is in commitment to that principle. So we need those kind of, so we, so we need Cuba's example for the world in terms of just creating a better world. Because without Cuba's example in terms of the possibility the world could be, then often we gravitate toward the world as it exists. And if we gravitate toward the world as it exists, in particular, we talk about in the context of. The, you know, the United States being a unilateral power, then clearly we understand that that example the United States poses is not only self-defeating, but it's destructive. And so, therefore, we don't want to emulate the example set by the United States. We want to emulate the example set by the Cubans. And so, therefore, the Cubans stand historically as being, you know, uh, beyond reproach. It's one that's got to be emulated. It's one that should be respected. And so we have a great ad- or a great latitude, a great uh, great. Uh, Cuba should receive great adulation in terms of the kind of stand historically has taken in terms of his fight against imperialism. Brother Anthony, as the Pan-African Party, the AAPRPGC, when I read a statement that the Cuban stated that we have given ourselves to the task of making this be a real contribution to the confrontation 
against the counter-revolutionary offenses recently deployed by the United States imperialism and a commitment in the search for a stronger unity between left-wing movements and strengthening of militant solidarity toward just causes around the globe. What do you and your party say to that and why Africans should get on board with the African Women's Association and go to this conference? It, well, it, it, um, in addition to this conference being an anti-imperialist co- uh, conference, it is also a pro-revolutionary uh, and pro-socialist conference, and it provide opportunities for people to mingle and network among the, among each other, uh, and and to get to know the other forces that are fighting against imperialism worldwide and I think that's why it's important that Africans go with the African Awareness Association uh, to support this effort uh, to learn more about what is going on uh, you know uh, around the world and not be totally dependent upon uh, the corporate media inside the US for all of your information and so I think it provides an excellent opportunity for networking and learning about the similarities of our struggles against imperialism. And Brother Hackey, just get us some logistics or how can they reach out to African Women Association for those who want to go and the dates and the times that you're leaving. I'm sorry, say again, Brother Africa. Can you just give the people the logistics for the date and time and how they can reach out to the African Women Association to go on this particular tour? Oh, sure. All right. They can, um, okay, they can give us a call at area code 804-549-7492 or area code 202-714-9435 or email us at African Women Association, number two, at gmail.com for more additional information in terms of the trip. And we encourage people to definitely come because we think that is very, very important. Because it's, the reality is that, you know, one of the things when we talk about the, the poor condition of humanity, we have to understand that, you know, uh, there's no real resolution with our first and foremost understanding what the issues are. And But too often, a lot of people, because of in part because of the uh, nature of propaganda in the U.S., are not aware in terms of the current situation that humanity finds itself in. So we need to go to Cuba, and uh, we need to support Cuba. We need to go to this, 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 this forum, this festival, and to actually, you know, engage with people around the world in terms of ideas. But this is very, very important for humanity, and I can't understand, uh, underscore that enough. So we encourage people to definitely go, and so for more information, they ask them, please give us a call or to write us um, for more information. Oh, I know they also email you at African Awareness Association 2 at Gmail. And one thing about this one thing about this conference and um this tour that you're taking, not only not only the fact that you'll be going to this important conference that takes place once every four years, but also you'll be meeting with African communities that part of your tour that's very unique. And you can do all of this with everything inclusive inclusive, leading for Miami for less than sixteen hundred dollars. I find that real great and interesting in terms of, you know, the services that you're offering and the minimum amount of cost for it. So we must commend y'all on that. Now, Brother Hackey, also along with the African Women Association, you're doing some historical stuff that's taking place October 27, 2019 in Richmond, Virginia. Talk about this upcoming 
the Richmond first annual Pan African International Festival of Cultural and Unity. Why is such a festival? Yeah, well, you know, this you know this this festival in Richmond that's taking place, you know, is unprecedented. Uh, one of the things I'm I'm a, I'm a strong believer of is that when we talk about terms of real change in society, I think for too long. Uh, the South has been somewhat uh, relegated, you know, to the to the peripheral um, um, concerns of people when we talk about real movement. Uh, I think often, often we talk about movements. We often talk about, you know, you know, northern, you know, uh, cities, big northern cities, or out west in California. So the South certainly plays a part in terms of bringing about real change, and I would argue that South probably play a bigger part in terms of potentially bringing about change, simply because when you look at the history of the United States, and we talk about atrocities, and we talk about the misery impacted upon people, uh, the uh, South uh, disproportionately played a big part in terms of impact and misery and, and injustice uh, upon people. So, therefore, the South has a unique role in terms of sort of uh, remedying the situation in terms of the injustice that has been affected people for a long, long time. So we're happy to say that, you know, this, this festival in Richmond is unprecedented. It's, it's, it's the first of hopefully of many. Well, hopefully with the idea was spread throughout the South in terms of uh, doing this kind of thing. Because the message that we're talking about is not one that's uh, that's uh, that's uh, that's um, simplistic by any means. We're talking about a message which is which is deeply ideological. And so we're, we're fundamentally what we're doing is we're challenging, challenging the powers that be. And, of course, when you talk about challenging the powers that be and we understand the history in terms of Richmond, one of the things we understand there is a tremendous amount of fear in terms of people because of the treatment, the abhorrent treatment that people have received in Richmond. So there's a certain amount of fear. So this festival would sort of underscore the importance in terms of despite the fear actually taking a stand and to speak truth to power. So I think in that regard, it's very unprecedented. So it's something that, uh, you know, we've been working on for a while. It's something that, you know, um, we certainly hope that people come out to. And, uh, you know, and hopefully, like I said, it'll be the first among many, and hopefully ultimately leading to, you know, spreading you know, throughout the South. So this is something that we look forward to, and, uh, you know, we certainly hope people come out. You know, Brother Hockey and Brother Evan Moses, I found this festival to be very interesting and unique because the focal point is a day for Africa, given the time period and the climate that we're living in now, and how Africa, again, has been attacked psychologically, militarily, politically, economically. Well, it says a day for Africa, and the theme is the Pan-African connection and our struggles. Freedom now. We are one people, one struggle, and one destiny. Africa must be free. In your own words, Anthony, how do you internalize the focal point of this particular theme as it relates to our people today? Brother Africa, uh I concur with your observation, and it reminds me of what Africans in the, in, in, uh, you know, in the diaspora were going through during the early part of the 20th century after World War One, uh, when, uh, when, uh, when, when, uh, you know, when, when, when Africans were 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 attacked in any which way, in every which way imaginable. And um, you know, and and in spite of our struggles, you know, it, it seems to be reoccurring again. And uh, so I think this is a very important uh, uh, festival, 
and I think it's significant that it takes place, uh, you know, uh, and uh, you know, in the deep south where there's historically been and currently so much political repression of African people, and I think it gives Africans from various parts of the diaspora and the continent to see the similarities in terms of our culture, language, and struggles. Brother Moses, your response to this thing? Yes, it sounds sounds revolutionary, uh, um, and um, I'm going to try to get there myself. Uh, um, I, I sound, you know, one point. Thank you. And Bobby, your response to this thing? My response is that while black visibility doesn't always equate to black power, what this is seeking to do is show that how black visibility can be utilized as a tool to empower, equip, and enlighten people exactly as to what the real reality um, Africans face on a daily basis is and to give them, give people an alternative narrative to what Western media often mischaracterizes and exaggerates um, in terms of perpetuating certain things and propaganda. Hey, Brother Haki, one of the things I find really unique about the program of this particular that African Awareness Association has put together is, even though Africa is the center point, but also it deals with the African diaspora. It will have many movements and people who are African countries around the world all connected as one as you talk about the pan-Africanism. Why was it important to have the external component of Africans connecting to Africa at this point in time? Well, you know, when we talk about it, the, the, the material reality of African people, uh, clearly the material reality is not very, very good. And so clearly the history in terms of oppression, uh, repression, subjugation, uh, modernization of African people exists on a global scale. And so we talk about the problems, particularly to African people, and that's just talking about the problems in terms of Africans on the continent. We also talk about Africans in, in the United States, Africans in Caribbean, Africans in uh, Central South America, Africans in Brazil, Africans, uh, you know, in Indonesia. So wherever we go, uh, this problem in terms of the unique uh, history, the unique, uh, subjuga- unique subjugation of, of African people is something that we have to be intimately aware of. And so, therefore, by calling by calling together, you know, Africans are diaspora, we sort of acknowledge the fact that the problems that we talk about affect African people, suffering affect all of us. And so, in that sense, that we're all the same, that we're not unique. And so, for those Africans whose position is that somehow because, you know, you're born in this part of the world versus someone other African in another part of the world, that somehow that you're not connected, we sort of want to dispel this nonsense and to demonstrate that we're all one people. And so, in understanding we're one one people. We understand we want one objective, and that is to be free. And so that freedom cannot be obtained unilaterally. It has to be done collectively. And so, therefore, we have a collective understanding, collective struggle that we have to engage in terms of bringing about the kind of uh, self-determination that African people seek. So, therefore, this, this, this festival underscores the importance in terms of that unity, and this is why it's so important that we, we invite all Africans throughout the diaspora to participate. And when we talk about the collectability on behalf of the African uh, Awareness Association has been one of the major forces, I almost say we're inside the U.S., of pushing this whole concept of pan-Africanism is that um, collectively, if we have a collective responsibility, 
That also implies you have a collective financial responsibility. I know these activities that you are involved in right now are activities that need finance. And we know we're truly going to be free and independent. We cannot depend on outside sources. So on that, so from that perspective, we would like to say to our listening audience that we know that they need the usual support. And the best way financially is how you can support them. We encourage the listening audience, audience to do a several things. Please go to GoFundMe and type in the Richmond First Annual Pan-African International Festival and make your financial contribution to your people liberation and to African wellness and its activities, the tour to Cuba and the festival that need your support. Make that as soon as possible. Again, you can go to GoFundMe and type in Richmond First Annual Pan-African International Festival. You make a contribution that way, or you can send it to them by the form of your cell phone, that cash amp. It's a green background with a little white dollar sign. Go to your cash amp, and you type in, you put in your dollar sign in, and you type in 804-319-9289. 804-319-9289. Send your contribution in to support this particular important work at this important time for our people. They need it. We need it. Africa need it. We need your financial support. Panelists, did y'all hear about last week about this guy at a football game? Say he was out of bill. He didn't have no bill. Could you send him some bill money? And from going from that one statement, you know he ended up getting a million dollars at the request because he wanted some bill. What y'all make of that? <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, I, 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 yeah. Yeah, I, I heard of that. I, I don't know. I don't know what, what to make of that. I, I really don't. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I you know, I, I can't respond to that, brother Africa. It's just, it's just so bizarre. I, I don't know what to say. I mean, someone is started off as a joke. He said he, you know, he said that he wanted uh, a donations, you know, for 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 a beer, and uh, people send him money for beer. So I don't know what that statement implies. I really don't. So it's too deep for me. So I, I'll pass it on to to the other panelists. But I would say this to end this conversation. If they can send a million dollars to get someone bill, I'm speaking to the African community for the liberation, freedom, and the interests of Africa. I know we should have responsibility to help African Women Association and their activities that's coming up. So make that donation to Cash Amp, 804-319-9289, or go to PayPal and type in Richmond First Annual Pan-African International Festival, or you can just send it, a check, right on a check of my order to African Awareness Association, P.O. Box 4433, Richmond, Virginia, 23220. So heed the call to need your help. Africans, let's organize, let's support our institutions. So right now, what we're going to do is we're going to pause for the call, take a station break, and we'll come back, we'll have a conversation with Baba Baba Abionim. He's one of the original members of the last port. We're going to be talking to him about his life, about him being a revolutionary artist, and we encourage you to join in. You can call in at 323-679-0841. So we're going to take a pause for the calls, then we will try to bring him in, introduce this um, conversation. This is Africa on the Moon.
and instead of picking up a gun and and shooting people, because I did think about that too, because I felt so, I was really hurt by what had happened. I decided to, I guess, make my mouth the gun and my words the bullets. So the last bullets were born uh, May 19, 1968, and it was really um, the commemoration of Brother Malcolm X's birthday. And it was a big park and a big crowd in the park in Harlem and a park we used to call Mount Mars Park. It's been renamed now to Marcus Garvey Park. And um, so I ended up hooking up with a brother named David Nelson and another brother named Gylan Kane. And we decided to go on stage as a, as a unit. We didn't have the name then, but we had the idea that if we worked together as a unit, as one group, one collective of poets um, with the same mission, and, we, and poets, everybody knows, generally speaking, are very individualistic. They come from different places in the different walks of life. But we thought that if we at least showed, gave the image of unity of three different men from three different walks of life, would give the black, good black folks a clear example of how much we need to have unity amongst ourselves, no matter what your religion, no matter where you come from. Just recognize that we got the same foot on our necks, and we need to address that as a unified body. So the last poets were born, and the, and the, the name actually was gleaned from a poem by a South African brother named Kel Petsy Kokosili. No one could hardly say his first name, so he was affectionately called Little Willie. So Little Willie Kokosili had written a poem outlining the, the problems that brothers and sisters in South Africa were having under the apartheid regime. And in the poem, he was describing just how horrendous it was to be in your own country and to be treated like that. And at the end of the poem, you could see his rebel nature come forth. And he said, this wind you hear is the birth of memory. When the moment hatches in time's womb, there will be no art talk. The only poem you will hear will be the spear point pivoted into the punctured marrow of the villain and the timeless native sun dancing like crazy to retrieve rhythms of desire fading into memory. So David Nelson, the oldest brother in the group, I said, therefore, we are the last poets of the world. So it was like this was the last poets represented like the last message before a revolution would take place. And that revolution doesn't always have to be bloodshed. The revolution, in our case, really was basically cultural. Stop plugging into his ideas, his his businesses, and let's do something for ourselves. Let's work on loving each other more. Let's preoccupy our time with each other and stop reacting to the madness that he presents to us. And um, and so the group was born, and and it was you know when people stop me on the street and they say. When I first heard you, brother, you know, you changed my life. And I have to give that back to the people because when I didn't have any idea that today would be here on the level that it is or that I would be seen as some kind of icon. And I'm not crazy about those expressions because I really feel like I'm just simply doing my job. I'm doing what I've been I've been inherited to do. And um, so I tell people all the time when they tell me how much I've had an impact on them, I say, well, you got to realize you had an impact on me because I'm running around the world now, running off at the mouth, saying all these things that I had never planned to do just because you heard something I said on an album in 1970 and it it inspired you, it motivated you 
to to want to hear more, and so I tried to just stay on point and say what I felt like would help lift us up. So that's that's really how I came to this point in my life, and I guess that's one of the reasons I still receive blessings from my people. Hey, Baba, you got to help me out. Pronounce your name correctly. I hate put your name up like that, but uh, pronounce your last name correctly. Abiodun. 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 Abi okay. Right, yeah. And maybe right. you call well, me, my mother calls me Dune. So if you call me Dune, that's fine too. <laughs> okay. Abiodun. Okay, good. Yes, good. Uh-huh. I, would like for you, I would like for you to respond to the African Awareness Association Festival. They titled it A Day for Africa in this nature of the day and time and the climate that we are dealing with. And their theme is the Pan-African Connection and Our Struggles, Freedom Now. We are one people, one struggle, one destiny. Africa must be free. With that theme right. in mind as an artist, what do you think you may bring to the Richmond community when you communicate with them? Well, you know, I mean, uh, being a poet, we try to function on the pulse of the people. We want to actually empower our folks as much as we can and make and help black people realize that we have never been anything short of magnificent. We are very special. We are an African people, but because of the circumstances that we've been through, we've created a whole other tribe over here, and it's, and it's stronger than anything anyone can imagine just because the, this, this, this white man went out of his way to strip us clean of everything that we knew before we got on those slave ships. So uh, I, I hope when I, I'm on stage and I'm speaking, when I'm addressing the folks, that I'm helping to lift their spirits. I'm helping to encourage and motivate them to do something that will make them feel good about themselves and see our power, recognize that we have a power that they can't take away from us. We have a spiritual power that is far beyond anything that this white character can imagine. And we need to organize and use that power to empower ourselves and treat each other with love and be, and recognize that we are sacred to each other and we need to treat each other like we're sacred. And I'm, I'm, I always hope that I leave a good taste in our folks' mouths and, a, and a, a, a greater understanding of our spiritual worth on this planet because I, I know the beauty that we bring. I know the work ethic that we bring. I know the humanity that we bring, and I try to bring that every time I go on stage. We are speaking live to Brother Baba Abiodun. He's one of the founders of Last Poet, and we just got the word that he'll be at the festival coming to Richmond on Sunday, October 27, right outside of Afro Congo, 3302 Williamsburg Road, Richmond, Virginia, from 11 a.m. to 6.30. We have the iconic brother going to be in Richmond, Virginia, dropping signs to our people. So be there, or if not, you are a square. So let's continue the discussion. <laughs> My brother, as an artist, do you think uh-huh. that all African artists have a responsibility to produce work that will advance our people to a higher level of positive creativity and production? Or are you one of those who say, as artists, the artist has the right to express themselves in any kind of way what is your philosophical position on that issue? I never agreed with art for art's sake. Art is supposed to be purposeful as far as I'm concerned. Um, we don't have time. It's, it's 
from where I'm sitting and from what I've learned over the years, we really don't have time to just play around in the playpen or the playground and not direct our energy. Art is a sacred object. It's something sacred, something special. And if you have been given any kind of artistic ability, whether it's singing or dancing or painting a picture, writing a poem, whatever it is, it needs to be used to help people grow, help people develop. And we, being a people of damaged goods, more or less, we need a lot of healing. You know, we talk about reparations. Well, the first reparations is really the repairment of the damage that's been done to us. And the poet has a great deal to do with that. Our songwriters have a great deal to do with that. Our visual visual artists, they have a great deal to do with that. The images, we are an artistic people. I understand that even in West Africa, they don't even have a word for art. It's understood that if you're born, you've got some artistic ability. And whatever it is, whether you can sing, play the chord, the drums, the dance, it's expected of you because I think when you express your art, you're having a a direct conversation with God. That's a spirit in you working and and talking and trying to help you uh, clearly understand who you are and, and what your position is on this earth. So when people just start doing stuff, uh, and and it's it's just really bubblegum. It's not it's nothing nutritional. It's nothing uplifting. It's nothing that can help us be stronger. They're, they're wasting our time. We're milling about in garbage, and and unfortunately, we have in, an industry of recording artists or producers of recording artists who want that type of silliness. They want us to be clowns. They want us to not uh, do any thinking. Just Give me something where people can shake their butt. And don't, don't we don't need people to think too much. Because if people started thinking, they'll realize that they have to not, they will not participate in a lot of this madness that's going on because they'll see that it's not good for them. Uh, just like we are being more conscious about the food we eat, we should be more conscious about the music we listen to as well because that's food. It's food of another nature. But when you take in poison food, it affects your body. When you're taking music that's not uplifting or not developmental to your existence on this planet, you're you're creating a spiritual death for yourself. And we have and we have that too much. Uh I I, I love some of the hip hop artists. I, I recognize that they give the last poets credit for laying the foundation for hip hop. And I've always had one problem. Yeah, you may have dug out style and and our vibrato and the way we came off in your face with some words that that maybe came out like machine gun bullets. But we've always had something to say. We never got on stage and just threw a bunch of spitballs in your face just because we could. And and this is what, unfortunately, a lot of our rappers are doing. They're not saying anything. They've got the stage to run their mouth, but they haven't studied. All artists, poets especially, and of course, all rappers need to do some research. You need to study, and then you can and you can get funky. You can be as juicy and jazzy and as jiggy as you want to be in your delivery or whatever you're saying. But just say something. Say something of merit. Say something that's going to help us see the greatness of ourselves and 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 be interested in learning more about who we are and what was taken away from us. Africa is with us. Many of us have issues about Africa because it's been turned against us with stupid shows like Tarzan and other things that try to make us look like 
jungle bunnies running around naked. And we are royal people. We've always been royal. And and a lot of the rappers and poets that are out there, they don't know because they, they have believed in the lie for so long. So it's our job. It's every artist, especially if you have that platform as an artist to communicate with other people, it's your job to, it's a responsibility that you try to heal the folks. And we need healing. And the artist can be a healer and must be a healer. And let's at least make an effort because we, we are really in dire need of lifting ourselves up because we're not in a country that's going to do that for us. All right, you're listening to Africa on the Move. We have a conversation with our brother, Baba Abi Odun from Last Port. We're going to pause for this call. So when we come back, our brother going to stay in the seat. He's going to take the heat. He's going to define uh-huh. it. He's going to stand behind it. We'll be right uh-huh. back. This is Africa on the Move. He's coming to Richmond. Don't you miss the date. Mark it there right now. The date is September the 20, October the 27th, Sunday, October 27th, 2019, outside Afro-Congo, 3302 Williamsburg Road, Richmond, Virginia, 23231. He's going to bring the heat, and when you get finished, we're going to be a new people. He got the power in the voice. So we're going to be right back with our political panelists. We're going to go back to Brother Hackey, who is one of the members of the African Women's Association, and he has some questions he will ask our brother. We're going to learn from his life experiences. This program for you. If you have any comments, feel free to call in at 323-679-0841 and support the festival. Like I said earlier, if you're not there, then you're square. We'll be right back. This is Africa on the Move.
Don't be no Buffalo soldier. Don't go around fighting other walls for the enemy and kill your exactly. people. We don't. We don't need that. We gotta stop you having know, Buffalo soldier. Yeah, go ahead. You know that's so funny that that you. That's so funny you said that because I was thinking that because a lot of people really I love Marley like many of us love Marley, and we will love him forever. But that song is a romanticizing of a character that did not really do the right thing. I mean, he was working for the system, and they were they were just, they were wiping out Native Americans, and and it was really sad because uh, they they were the most fierce soldiers around, and they could go in places that the white soldiers couldn't go, and many of them were even accepted by the natives, and but they were working for the United States Cavalry, and uh, and 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 they they really have gotten praise. I think Quincy Jones in the Peace Corps. I bet your mama never told you about the Buffalo Soldier. Well, you know, we really don't need to be, unfortunately, putting them on any some kind of an altar because they did not do the right thing. They were not fighting and, the people who needed to be fought against. And to add to your point, why we got to set respect for African Women's Association and make African people in this country even more responsible they need to go to Cuba and show that appreciation to our brothers in Cuba because the Buffalo Soldier played a role in helping the U.S. to prolong the Cuban independence. They interfered oh. in the Cuban independence in 1896. And it was wow. because the African soldiers for the U.S. were able to repair them at that time. It wasn't the mm. European soldiers. They was going to whoop. But when they had to brought the African soldiers in on the U.S. side, that's when they were able to, you know, to maintain and, and, and were able to do um, Conquer the battle on the hill. They talk about Bunker Hill, right, and right. we got to stop fighting our brothers and sisters and know who we are. This is why yeah. this festival is very important, and we got to really understand this concept of Pan Africanism. And much respect to the African Women's Association. So right now, brother, brother Haki, we gonna drop the mic. The mic is yours now. Yes, yeah, so, I mean, let me ask the brother uh, first of all, big fan. But let me ask you this. Yes. Now, as a poet, you know, in terms of collaboration, you know, often I'm assuming that some conflict arises from time to time. So my question is, how do you resolve conflict if, in fact, is a factor? Say, say that again. Run that again. I, I miss that. Okay. Now, now, in terms of you know, as a poet, and in yes. terms of your collaborations with others, right, right. Let's say there is some conflict in terms of you know which verse should precede what. How is that conflict resolved, or is that an issue? Well. You know, there's going to, anytime you're dealing with any project whatsoever, you can look forward to some conflicts. But how we resolve them is to, I mean, I'd like to just sit down and, and, and talk about whatever it is. I don't like the idea of reacting to a situation without having some kind of communication about it. Because we, we're not always going to agree. Conflict can be very helpful if we're willing to tackle it honestly. And and um, so I have no problem when, when conflicts occur, but they have to come from someplace in order for us to really work them out. And so sitting down and having a conversation and trying to communicate what the issues are, what the differences are to resolve the conflict is my way of, of handling things. Uh, uh, some people, when they get into conflicting situations, personality changes. They become uh, somebody else, and, and that's not... That's not the idea of change. That's the idea of compounding the problem, as far as I'm concerned. So I hope that answered your question, brother. 
No, it does. It does. One one follow up question. One unrelated follow up question. Okay. Uh, my understanding was you collaborate. You you we actually you uh you met Gil Scott Herring. So did, yes. did you ever collaborate with Gil Scott Herring? Yes. Gil Gil was the student body president at Lincoln University when we went. He was the one who actually brought us on stage when we first performed at Lincoln in 1968. And he he actually um, came backstage, came to our dressing room at the end of the concert and said that he wanted to start a group just like ours. And um, I told Gil, I said, go for it, Gil, because we want, we want to, um, I'm being interviewed, baby. <laughs> we, that we want to um, have less poets all over the world. So Gil, and at the time I had done When the Revolution Comes, and so Gil was actually inspired by that poem because I said in the poem When the Revolution Comes, some of us will probably catch it on TV with chicken hanging from our mouths. You'll know it's a revolution because there won't be no commercials. And when Gil heard the poem, like anybody who is a poet, you know, poets inspire poets all the time. And if you say something that grabs my attention, I might, you know, it might stick in my head and I might want to work with that. And so he took that particular concept that I had presented and he took it to another level because he stated he had a poem entitled The Revolution Will Not Be Televised. And we and we were very good friends for a very long time. I mean, I knew Gil up until his departure because uh, he, he was unfortunately involved with crack right here in Harlem. But, you know, people would walk up to Gil and I. We were down in Atlanta, Georgia one time together, and a brother ran up to me and said, Oh, I'll be a dude. I just love you guys, man. I love the last poet. You guys really changed my life. The revolution not be televised, brother. And I said, Yeah, right on. And then another, about 20 minutes later, a brother ran up to Gil Scott and said, Oh, Gil, I love your work, man. When the revolution comes, Gil. And, we, and he said, Right on. And, and people get those two poems confused all the time. So we, were, we did a show together at um, the year before he died, actually, at Carter Barron Amphitheater in Washington, D.C. And uh, it was just Gil Scott Heron and the last poets. And it was I remember it was supposed to rain. They said forecast was going to be rain in the evening. Did not a drop of rain came, and about 2,000 people there. And we had a beautiful, beautiful concert. And at the end, the paparazzi had me and Gil Scott on stage. And he says to Gil, he says, well, Gil, now tell me, are you a last poet? And Gil said, yes, I'm a last poet. And then he looked at me for confirmation, and I said, Gil spouts the same philosophical understanding in his poetry that I that I say in mine. And for that, he is a last poet, because a last poet is not just the name of a group, but it's a philosophy. It's a philosophical way of, of writing poetry to send a message to our people that we need to wake up because it's time to wake up. And... Um, and then the guys, then the white guy says, of course, you know, sometimes you can't teach white folks anything; they overuse it. He said, "Well, what about them biting over your poem?" I said, "Biting." I was, I was entertained by that. I said, "What poem did he bite off of, sir?" He says, uh, "Your poem about revolution." I said, "Gil Scott Heron did not bite off of my poem; he graduated my poem." I said that we'll probably catch it on TV with chicken hanging from my mouth, and Gil Scott Heron said. It will not be televised. And then I told him, I said, you know what? We all black folks who are artists in this world of art, we stand on the shoulders of each other. That's how we grow. We learn from those who came before or those who have said things that make sense, and we take it to another level. I said, why are you trying to create a conflict? But you see, that's what white folks do. They love to create conflicts. They love to 
put a wedge in between situations because they don't really divide and conquer. They conquer the divided. And once they see that you're on one side and this other person's on the other side, now they attack. And they they become the signifying monkey. So Gil Scott Heron and I, and I'm so happy to say this, in our lifetime, we knew each other, loved each other, and we didn't have a chance to work together as much as we'd like to. I've even sat in for him when he got to a point where he couldn't perform because of his condition situation. Uh, Brian Jackson, his fiancé player who went to school with him, called me and said, uh, he said, I don't know how to say this, brother, but we got a gig at SOBs. And, and I knew what he was trying to say. I said, brother, what do you mean you know how to say it? He says, well, I want, you know, Gills might not be. I said, you want me to sit in for Gil? You're, you say, how do you ask me, could I sit in for Gil? I said, it's an honor to do that, brother. I'd be more than honored to do that. So I sat in for Gil. I performed in his in his spot, and I gave him his reverence because the brother was a, a true, gifted, talented artist. Unfortunately, he let demons get into his heart and his mind, and he started dealing with some things that caused him to cut his life short, shorter than it should have been. I just recently, a month ago, over a month ago, excuse me, in July, I had his daughter stay here. He had a daughter by Brenda Sykes, an actress. Some people might remember she had a short career because mm-hmm. she didn't like the situations in Hollywood. She said there were too many couches for her to sleep, her to sleep on. She could not handle that. She didn't go there for that. Uh, she was trying to be an actress. but So some people remember Brenda Sykes and some people don't. But she was married to Gil Scott Heron, and they had a daughter named Gia. Gia is now alive and well. She runs around. She pays tribute to her father, does some of his poetry, and and at the same time, she writes poetry herself. So she, she came to New York City to perform at the African Street Festival that's held in Brooklyn every year. And a um, brother named Bilal, who played saxophone in Gil's group, asked me if I had some space for her to lay her head while she was here. And I said, it would be an honor to have Gil's daughter in my house. And so she was she so she was she was in my house she was here and um and 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 i was very um happy to have her here and to just to share with her uh some of the thoughts and hear what she had to say too about how her father felt about me because we didn't hang out that much together but we um did know each other and loved each other like brothers Hello, Haki. Hello. Yeah, I think I'm good. Thanks. Uh huh. Okay. Next, we go to another panelist and panelist. Brother Anthony, the mic is yours. Hey, f- thanks. Uh, revolutionary greetings, uh, brother Abiadun. Yes. Uh, I have a, a couple of questions. Um, from what I read, several members of the last poets uh, have uh, have African names. And uh, was uh, I'm curious as to whether that was coincidental, or or did some of you consciously um, chose to adopt African names to identify more clo- uh, more closely with Africa, um, yeah. which was somewhat radical during the, uh, some new during the, during that time period in which the last poets emerged. Yes, and brother. what meaning does your name have? Okay. Out of curiosity, or was that after a historical figure that, that you that, admired? That, that's, a, that's a very beautiful question, brother. Um, many of 
the poets in the group, uh, the ones that did change their names, uh, uh, most of the ones that changed their names, they became Muslims. And when they became Sunni Muslims, they took on another name. Like, for example, uh, Jerome Healy, he, he didn't come into the group named Jerome, he called himself Omar. And when he became a Muslim, when he actually made Shahada and became a Muslim, he changed his name to Umar bin Hassan. A brother that was in that on the first album, he had taken on the name, just he had decided to use the name Alafia Pudim. His name was Larry Pudim. But uh, he, when he became a Muslim, he made Shahada, and he changed his name, became Jalal Mansur Nurdin. Now, I actually got my name when I was 15 years old because I went to high school here in, in Manhattan, and on half a days, you know, you just had that was like free time. You didn't even tell your mother that there was a half a day because you just had that time to just do what you want to do with your boys. So on half a days, we had a half a day one time, and either my friends and I would go to the village to see the freaks, or we'd come to Harlem because I lived in Queens. And so this particular time, we decided to come to Harlem, and it was an African-looking structure on 119th Street and 7th Avenue. And we were, and I was looked at it, and the only thing I'd seen African in my life was Tarzan movies. So I'm standing in front of this building, acting like some stupid guy in a Tarzan movie. I'm saying, Ooga Booga, Buwana Buwana, and I'm just clowning the spot. Because you could see it was like trying to, some kind of a facade of Africa. But I wasn't down with Africa. I was 15. I wasn't trying to relate to that stuff. And this light-skinned guy comes walking out of the building with full African clothes on, and I'm saying, what is he dressed like that for? He's not African, because I thought all Africans were blue-black. I didn't know anything. And the guy says to me, he says, why don't you come inside and see what else we have here? You know, you might find it amusing. And he said it like he wasn't insulted by me laughing at the place. He he invited me in. So he invited me in, and his name happened to be Baba Osurjman Adipumi. He was the head leader of the Yoruba people here in America, of black, uh, black folks who knew that we were connected to the Yoruba uh, nation in, in Nigeria and Benin. So I went in, and he gave me a white chalky stone to hold in one hand, and he gave me a black solid stone to hold in another, and he told me to shake and separate. And this is the first time I experienced what is called ephod divination. I didn't know what he was doing. All I know is that he was writing down some stuff when he told me to point my... Uh, I, I, he'd say, I hold out your hands, and he'd point to a hand, and I'd open it up, and whatever stone was in the hand, he'd write down something on a piece of paper. And when he wrote this stuff down, I didn't know what he was reading. I didn't know what was happening. But then he tells me, he says, um, um, well, I see uh, your name is Abiodun Oyewole. And I said, oh, no, my name is not Abiodun Oyewole. My name is Charles Franklin Davis, and my friends call me Chuck. I don't know what, what you're talking about. He says, that's your slave name, brother. And I said, I ain't no slave. I mean, I didn't want to hear none of that. And he says, your people came here as slaves, and we were given names by the slave master. You did have a name before you got involved with this, before our ancestors got involved with the slave trade. They stripped us of our names. He, he took time talking to me. I had never heard, but then I'm looking at this name that I've got, and it didn't fit in my mouth. I didn't. I don't speak Yoruba. Abio Doom. What? What is that? That's that's crazy. So he wrote it down the way it was spelled, and then he wrote it down phonetically so I could say it, and then he wrote the meaning down. Abio Doom is a name given to a child born during a festive occasion. 
It actually translates into he who brings joy into the town. My last name, Oye Wole, means good fortune follows me. I have always felt like that in my life. I've always felt like I bring some I bring joy. I'm not a depressed person. I'm not somebody that tries to add to the sadness that we may be facing ourselves every day. And I've always felt very fortunate. I've always felt like an angel was walking with me. I didn't I've never felt any fear of anything basically because I really feel like I'm protected. So when he said what my name meant, I started thinking about it. But I still couldn't use it. And then one, uh, about maybe eight, nine months later, I was with some of my friends at a, a some kind of um, lecture here in Harlem. And I was there out of curiosity, really. And uh, there's a brother on stage. He says, yeah, many of y'all black folks are not there with them European names. Proud to be called by your master's name, James and John and Paul. And he was going on. And I told my boys, I said, I ain't got no slave name. <laughs> and they said, yes, you do. Your name is Chuck. That's what we call the white man, Chuck. And I said, and I, they started laughing. I said, listen, my name is Abio Dune, and if you don't call me that, I'm not going to answer you. And I put all of my friends on notice immediately. Then I really got stupid, and I, <laughs> I told my mother that I changed my name to Abio Dune. And she says, you crazy. You got your grandfather's name. That's a perfectly fine. I said, my grandfather didn't know, and you don't know. I said, those those names are recycled European names. We've got African names. My mother just said, something's wrong with you. She just thought I was losing my mind because I really went about changing my name. I since have got a serious education here at Columbia University. I even had a doctor. I was in a doctoral program because I had a fellowship. And, of course, I'm, they referred to me as Dr. A. Wola, you know, all that stuff. My mother is so proud of my African name, she says it better than I say it. But it's mainly because... It's like anything else. If you change your name or you change a particular character about yourself, or at least you say you have changed uh, about yourself, people if, if people see the same old person, they're not going to change up on what they call you. If they see the changes that you've made and how serious and committed you are to whatever changes you've made in your life, that's how people are convinced that, that their change is worthy, and they will get on board. And that's what my mother has done. And I'm And, and it's something like... When we take on these names, we have to live up to those names. All names have meaning. If your name is Bob, there's a meaning for it. A lot of us don't know those meanings. We just use a name, pass it on like a piece of plastic. But the fact is that every single name has a meaning. African names have lyrical meanings. They have poetic meanings. And I'm just very happy to have continued to investigate the whole concept of what being African is all about because that was something else that was kept from us. And, and so... Yes, I've, my name has meaning that I've tried to live up to in every day of my life. Yeah. Uh, okay, thanks. Uh, another uh, question. This is unrelated. Um, okay. it, it seems to me that hip-hop, when it was a struggling art form, was more creative and more progressive or revolutionary than it is now, now that it's under, uh, pretty much under Zionist control. And uh, I wonder what your thoughts were over over the changes it has undergone over the last few decades that it's been in existence. And a similar thing happened with another cultural creation uh, that we did, that we had, that we had, 
called jazz. You know, it became uh, once it became popular and commercial, it seemed to lose its creativity and some of its uh, power. Well, first of all, you got to realize what this. We are creative geniuses. <clears throat> See, when you take everything from a people and you leave them with nothing but their souls, the creative energy that we were born with, that we inherited from the motherland, has not gone away. I tell people all the time, if you want to see Africa, look at yourself in the mirror. I mean, Africa is always there, and it causes us to be magnificently creative. We, we're creative in so many different ways, it's, it's, it's hard to even calculate or to, uh, to, to actually break down all the areas that we've shown creativity. Uh, it, and so th- we're living in a capitalist world where people are going to try to uh, um, try to get do everything they can to prostitute whatever they can. And if, if we have something that we've created, it will be hold. It will be prostituted as much as possible. And that's what happens because we are creating. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm making a chocolate cake that is just so good, it's so tasty. And it only cost me maybe about maybe three dollars to make the cake. But no, you're gonna sell people slices for a dollar twenty-five a slice. I mean, but that's what the society does. And there's and, and we got this music called jazz. We can package it up and make it delightful. And and then and we can do it too. I mean, look, Kenny G became a, a super supposedly super uh, saxophone player. Kenny G can't play dead. Kenny G is a decent musician, but he's not really a real jazz player. And I had a friend of mine uh, blow him out the water. Now, Kenny G made $12 million one year. I don't know any black jazz artist who's ever said that he's made that kind of money in a year playing jazz. But Kenny G was given that platform because Kenny G was a white boy playing jazz. So he had an audience, and they and, and he became the, 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 the king, just like they made Elvis Presley the king of rock and roll. That's a joke when you got Chuck Berry and Bo Diddley and Lil Richard around. That's silly to even imagine something like that. And then the, all the songs that he made famous were written by a brother in Brooklyn named Otis Blackwell. Nobody knows this, but they will take whatever we do and blow it up and capitalize on it. They do that, and at the same time, try to make it theirs. I mean, it's no mystery that if we see movies about Egypt, we're not going to see Cleopatra uh, and, and, and the skin tone that she really had. We're not going to see Naughton or, or Ramses or none of those characters looking like black people because they want to morph themselves into our existence and be the people that we think that will be worshipped by us just because they put themselves in the places of our ancestors. We have to be wise enough. We have to research. We've got to study. We've got to know. And we've had brothers like Dr. Ben, Dr. Uh, Dr. Uh, ben Johannes, and, of course, Dr. Clark, and quite a few others, uh, 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 Ivan Van Sertema, a number of historians who give us information, but a lot of us are not reading. A lot of us are not researching. So we still listen to the tabloids and the, watch the TV and, and listen to what they have to say. We have to study and recognize for ourselves our worth because if we continue, hip-hop was a good idea. Matter of fact, see, people don't realize in the beginning, hip-hop was to stop gang fights. 
and the kids were finding a solution themselves because gangs were a big deal in New York City. We had gangs that would go from neighborhood to neighborhood and have gang wars physically with car antennas and, and zip guns and all that kind of stuff. But the hip-hop came along and actually stopped that, and they started battling with words, a piece of cardboard for their hip-hop dancers to, to do their thing on, and a, and a DJ that had some music, had a big boom box, and they would do and they would rap, and that was the way. And if I had my if my crew could rap better, and my dancer was better than than your dancer, then we won the battle, and they called it a battle. But there were no punches thrown. There was nobody shooting or stabbing anybody. It was a healthy competition that created that came out of a a poetic style that people want to give credit to Les Paul for. I appreciate all that, but at the same time, we did some work. I had just to be a last poet, I had to read, I read about five books in less than three months just so I, I could have conversation with some brothers who I admired. Because they'd be talking to me and saying things like, hey, well, you know what Prince Renard said on page 239 in Wretched of the Earth? I never heard of Wretched of the Earth, let alone what 239 said. Well, you know what Chancellor Williams says in the Destruction of the Black Civilization? I mean, it's on 355. I never even saw the book. So I had to read the uh, Structure of Black Civilization, uh, Harold Cruz's The Fights of the Negro Intellectual, Wretched of the Earth, Black Skin, White Mess. I mean, I had to read all of these books just to have a conversation. That's how serious the movement was. We don't have a movement per se right now. The, the uh, uh, Black Lives Matter is not a movement. That's a feeble expression of a movement. It's not a movement. The Me Too is probably much stronger because women are coming together and making some statements and they're clearly make they're making it quite clear we're, uh, we're tired of this male madness and so there's some statements being made on this more serious skill with that but still it's not a movement like what we had back in the 60s because we had a serious movement that was going to bring about some change and we were working towards that end in the absence of a movement the circus comes to town and in this case the circus is in town and of course, we've got a big orange clown running things right now, and 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 people are trying to put him in a position to be impeached. And it's, I think they're going to shoot themselves in the face because this guy is not impeachable. He will he will, he will impeach himself before the Democrats impeach him because he's he's just that silly. But you got to recognize that he is a puppet, and there's some people who we don't even know who are pulling the strings. He just likes the spotlight. He's got such a big ego. He loves being on his reality show, and he's moved his reality show from wherever studio he was in to the White House, and we need to recognize all of that. We have, we have a mission, and it should always be to uplift and empower ourselves and the people. And I say people, I'm talking about everybody. There is a, right now, this the whole revolution, as far as I see, is humanity versus inhumanity, and we've got quite a few people who don't care about human beings. Those are the folks that I'm up against. They can be any color. They could be black, white, whatever name you can come up with. But the fact is that if we're working towards the better understanding of human humankind, then we're on the right page. And that's what I'm that's what I'm about at this moment in time. I want to see black folks, of course, get the play they deserve and all the richness that we deserve and recognize within ourselves. But by the same token. I would like to see a world that is much more human than the world we're living in. Thanks. 
Right there, you listen to our brother, Baba Abiodun. He's a member, a recent member of the last port. He'll be coming to Richmond, Virginia, October 27th, that's a Sunday, at uh, Afro-Congo, 3302, Wilsborough Road, Richmond, Virginia. For more information, contact the African Awareness Association at 804-549-7492 or email them at African Awareness Association number two. Our brother going to be there. So what we're going to do right now, we will continue this conversation with our brother, but we're going to have to pause for this call. So when we come back, we'll come to Jabari. If Jabari, you can share some information with that brother because you're from the hip-hop community. So it's from one hip-hop brother to another. We'll be right back. This is Africa on the move. You have the emergence in human society of this thing that's called the state. What is the state? The state is this organized bureaucracy. It is the police department. It is the army, the navy. It is the prison system, the courts, and what have you. This is the state. It is a repressive organization. But the state and people, well, you know, you've got to have the police, because if there were no police, look at what you'd be doing to yourselves. You'd be killing each other if there were no police. But the reality is, the police become You know how we think, organize the hood under our chain banners. Red, black, and green instead of gang bandanas. FBI spying on us through the radio antennas. And I'm hitting cameras in the street like watching society. With no respect for the people's right to privacy. I take a slug for the cause like Huey P. While all you fake niggas try to copy Master P. I want to be free to live, able to have what I need to live. Bring the power back to the street where the people live. We sick of working for crumbs and filling up the prisons. Dying over money and relying on religion for help. We do for self like ants in a colony. Organize the welcome to a socialist economy. A way of life based off the common needs. And all my comrades is ready. We just spreading the seed. Live a third of his life in a jail cell Cause the world is controlled by the white male And the people don't never get justice And the women don't never get respected And the problems don't never get solved And the jobs don't never pay enough So the rent always be late Can you relate? No more bondage, no more political monsters, no more secret space launches. Government departments started it in the projects, material objects, thousands up in the closets. Could have been invested in the future for my comrades. Battle contacts, primitive weapons out in combat. Many never come back, pretty niggas be running with gas. Rather get shot in they back than fire back. We're tired of that, corporations hiring blacks. Denying the fact, exploiting us all over the map That's why I write the shit I write in my rap It's documented, I meant it Every day of the week, I live in it, breathing it It's more than just fucking believing it I'm holding in one, rolling up my sleeves and shit It's C-Lo for push-ups now Many headed for one conclusion Niggas ain't ready for revolution You have this blackmail Live a third of his life in a jail cell Cause the world is controlled by the white male And the people don't never get justice and the women don't never get respected And the problems don't never get solved And the jobs don't never pay enough So the rent always be late Can you relate? We living in a police state
Welcome back to Africa on the Move. If niggas not ready for the revolution, I wonder if the Negroes going to be ready in Richmond, Virginia. And if our brother comes to Brother Abu Adun for last poor, he'll be dropping some heavy stuff on us. If you want to meet the brother, hear the brother, please come out to the African Awareness Association Richmond first annual Pan-African International Ooh, Festival of Culture and train. Unity. This will be Sunday, October 27, 2019, at Congo. That's at 3302 Williamsburg Road, Richmond, Virginia, 23231. The event can be from 11 a.m. morning to 6.30 p.m. Again, for more information, call 804-549-7492 or just email African Awareness Association 2 at Gmail. This is going to be a festival of a lifetime. We're bringing our brothers and sisters to Richmond. Because we recognize Richmond was one of the first places where Africans were brought to when they came to the West, to the so-called country of the USA. And it's going to be one of the last places where we all exit from, going back home. So I don't know, brother, African Women Association is well of it. Not only is it historic, but it's right on time. It's a good response to this 400 years of slavery in 1619. So on that note, we can go back to our brother. We have another uh, analyst on the phone. He's just from the hip-hop community. Brother Jabari, from one hip-hop to another, talk to your brother. The mic is yours. Hello. I hear Brother Jabari. Jabari? Okay, we can move on. Jabari not there. Let's go with Brother Moses. Brother, the mic is yours. Brother okay, Moses. Okay, um, hello, can you hear me? Yes, yes, yes we, we can, can hear, hear you. you. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I, I was, um... Are you Brother I Moses? Yeah, hey, greeting, greeting, brother. Yeah, greeting. Yes, okay, it's nice, nice to meet you. Yeah, it's nice. Uh, I was, I was um, mesmerized or definitely intoxicated with 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 um, your work uh, and Jill Scott Heron's work, uh, especially those that revolution stuff. Uh, I was right up my my head. Uh, yeah. Um, um, uh, I was, I was, um. I was relatively, well, I wasn't that old back then. I was probably late teens. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was definitely one time. It was definitely one time. I, I, I really appreciate that. I was, I, I, something else came to my mind. Because uh, um, um, I, I was young and impressionable back in that day. But Sweet, Sweet Back, Badass's Song, that was another song that stuck out in my mind. About that period of time, uh, um, he said, "I want to get off my, off my knees." Uh-huh. And he said, talking revolution, sweet back." Right. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, um, I really appreciate your work. I, I don't really know what to say uh, other than keep the keep up the good work, and hopefully, I'll see you in Richmond. Well, thank you, man. And and the only thing to say is that uh, when you appreciate the work, all you got to do is just be a part of it. You know, I mean. Because it takes, I can say a bunch of things, and I'm grateful that I'm saying something that touches the pulse of my people. Um, but the real deal is the action that comes beyond be, behind the work. We have got to love each other seriously much more than we have. We have got to show what we really are about as opposed to just talking. Because talk, as my father used to always say, talk is cheap. It don't buy nobody's land. The truth is that we really have got to put in the work. We've got to show some kindness to each other that we seem to have forgotten to do. 
we're too we're, we're losing some of our peopleness, and it, it and it breaks my heart because that's who we really are. We are a, a sharing, caring folks, you know. But when Hollywood decides to give us awards, if you notice, they always give us awards for us being dysfunctional and broken down. I mean, Hattie McDaniel was the first black to receive an Oscar for playing a maid, even though they kind of told themselves because they called her Mammy, and Mammy is Mama, and she was truly Mama because she was running stuff. But at the same time, it was a low-class position that a lot of folks would not see as something to exalt to, uh, to, to you know, to something that you want to do. All right, then the next person that got an award by the great, uh, uh, how should I say, Academy of of, of Motion of uh, Arts was Sidney uh, Poitier when they gave him an Oscar for Lilies of the Field. A black guy just lands out of nowhere and builds a chapel for some nuns and teaches them how to sing Amen. I mean, it was he was not even connected to to the to his own people. He didn't he didn't even give you a glimpse of his history. He just pops up and builds a chapel for the nuns and is entertaining them the whole two hours or however long the movie was. And then of course they take a perfectly fabulous actor like Denzel Washington and give him an award for training day where he's just a nigger cop. He is not even worthy of anything. He's just the most despicable character you can imagine on screen. And they gave him yeah. an award for that. And then of course turned around the same year and gave a award to Halle Berry. And, and and that was just because she could show you that she could screw a white man on the screen better than anybody else, and they enjoyed that. So they're really telling you what they'd like for us to continue to do. They have a program. They have an agenda. They've got a whole setup, a sideshow setup for us. And as long as we continue to go along with their program, we're going to look stupid and we're going to look silly. Uh, we need to recognize that even though there is no movement and the circus is in town and it seems like we can never get out of town, we have got to break this chain. We have got to do something that's going to make us realize that there's another world that we must be about that has nothing to do with this one. All right. All right. Okay. Do we have Jababi back? Are you back, Jababi? If not, let's just move forward, my brother. Let me ask you a your position, you have had a chance to travel and been part of this movement for many, many years. And one of the things the African Wedding Association is doing, and they do it every year, which is very important, we think, for African people in this country, is to go to Cuba and learn from their continuous revolution and their people. Now, they're taking the delegation to Cuba from October the 31st to November 6th, so there's still time to go if people want to join to call African Women Association, or email them. But in terms of Cuba as, as an artist, and looking at Cuba and the role that Cuba has played towards African people development and liberation, what is your response to how you view Cuba? Well, Cuba is special because, um, and you see, Cuba came over here with a whole bunch of priests from the Yoruba religion, so they had the magic with them. I mean, Fidel actually used those priests to to overtake Batista, and um, and and it's really interesting because the con- Cuban Cuban medical program is better than any medical program we got here. As a matter of fact, Tume, who was a known musician here, played congas with Miles, and he also was a musical director of a show called New York Undercover. And of course, Louis Farrakhan, who we know is the head of the Nation of Islam, they both had the the cancer, and they both would make trips to Cuba 
for their for, for their treatment, and and they both are still with us and looking well because they don't give them chemotherapy and cancer. They, I mean, in Cuba, they do a whole thing with shark cartilage, and that that has whatever in the shark's bone structure, which is actually called cartilage. They've got something that's an antidote to cancer to the to the cancer situation. And America doesn't use it because it's not cost-effective. Uh, they only really are looking out for your money. Your health is secondary. If I can get more money out of you, that's what I need. So take this pill, come see me next week, and make sure you bring some more money. So it's about that. Cuba has been a beacon of light for many of us. I'm so very happy that Asada Shakur got out of the clutches of jail and went over there and, became, and 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 was given asylum in Cuba, and they tried so many ways to get her to come back. I think they even tried to convince the Pope to bring her back uh, to America somehow, but Fidel wasn't giving her up, and she is she's a Cuban woman as far as I'm concerned now, and I'm just happy that she still is free and she's alive and well there. I haven't had a chance to get to Cuba yet, but Cuba is the one place in the Caribbean that is a beacon of light for us because a lot of our cultures there, a lot of what we are about, uh, the Cubans have a lot of the the, the gifts that, that were brought over on the ship with us. Many of them are, are in Cuba. The Cubans know the religion the, that many of us practice better than most of us. Matter of fact, if you wanted to be a Yoruba priest uh, 30, 40 years ago, the only place to go in this hemisphere was Cuba because they had the priests that knew how to make you, how to teach you the art of Ephod divination and so forth. So Cuba has played a major, major role in the development and the understanding of our Africanness for a, whole, for a long, long time. And, and, and a lot of people don't realize that uh, most of the Cubans really are, are dark-skinned people. We just see the white-skinned uh, folks because those are the ones who actually try to come here for white skin privilege for the most part. But uh, I've understood that people, when people have, oh, I know have gone to Cuba, they say, oh, no, you got some obvious African people. They just happen to speak Spanish, but they're over there in Cuba. And, and, and I know from what they've done and the humanity that they've shown this world, I mean, is definitely from, coming from a, a, not a European place at all. So I, Cuba is definitely a place that we should revere, we should appreciate, and try to visit if possible, just because it upholds the culture and it recognizes its history. Hey, Papa, I have an idea with your permission. Yes. If you were, if you allow Africa on the move, along with Africa Women's Association, Africa Women's Association, be an advocate on your behalf to see if we can find a way to get you on this tour that's coming up. Well, you got permission to do that. This will be our token of showing our appreciation for all the things we have done for our people. When is the when is the tour actually? Because the tour is the tour the tour is October thirty first to November the sixth. It's a seven day tour. Okay, okay. Well, that doesn't sound too bad. Yeah, I mean, yes, you have my permission because I know I'm going to Senegal at the end of December. And that's something that's already been in the pipeline for for a minute. And uh, uh, but so I, I do have time. If that could happen, sure, I would. I would love that. And I had 
I mean, it would be a real surprise. I hadn't thought of it, but if that could be made possible, by all means, I would go along with it. Yes, sir. So our first appeal to our international audience at home and abroad, we want y'all to go to this website, GoFundMe, and type in Richmond's first Pan-African International Festival. That's our page, African Women Association, and make a general donation. And if we get money that way, we'll use it to help make sure our brother can go on that tour with the African Women Association. So we'll be calling out to the public to make appeal to try to have you on this delegation. Because that's the thing we think is important, but just as a symbol of love for the things that you have done and continue to do for our people. So we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna give it a try, my brother. You know, well, you say our people it, will make a way out of nowhere. King, you say oh, our yeah. people will make a way out of nowhere. So we're going to see, we're going to put that one to a test. So to our okay. listening audience or Africa on the Move, please give us a call at 804-549-7492. Email us at Africa Awareness Association at Gmail. Or if you just want to make a contribution, you can do it two ways. You can go to your green cash app with the little white sign and cash app it to 804 3199289 or go to the GoFundMe page and type in Ritual First Pan African International Festival. And the cheapest the trip is not that expensive. The only time I'm raising a little less than sixteen hundred dollars. You give me about six thousand people, drop a few dollars in, we can make this happen. This is doable. So we're making a call to the African community. Come to this festival and hear our brother, get our brother on the trip. You can support uh-huh. Cuba. By support Cuba, you support Africa. And the movement will continue to go forward, Apple, and back with Apple. Well, my brother, I'm going to put you on the spot. And I know well, you can handle it. That's okay, brother. This is what we're going to ask you to do. This is what we're going to ask you to do if you can. Can okay. you wrap a few words, encouragement of our listening audience, and encourage them to come to the festival? Can you just okay. wrap a few words to our audience? Brother. Well, uh, first of all, the fact that you're doing this festival in Richmond, Virginia, which is one of the first stops that the, that the slave ships made. I mean, it, 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 there's a, a lot of history dealing with Virginia and the whole slave trade. Uh, and uh, Some people may know it, some people may not, but uh, Virginia had played a very, very important role. And um, I, I'm just happy to know that the conscience is there. I've had the pleasure of being there, a uh, sister that uh, does the... Janine Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, Janine Bell. She's she's a beautiful sister, and and she had us come down and perform at her Kwanzaa festival, and it was just wonderful. And there was a young man there named Lafayette who Umar and I both have done some recordings with, and he's put that stuff out on on some kind of uh, independent label. And that it's it's I mean it was just a beautiful thought because he was a he was also a businessman. He took care of the the compensation without any problem. And he took care of my transportation and fed me. And you got an African restaurant there in Richmond that has just got some yummy food. I forget the name of it, but it's a little place, but the food is great. But I do recognize that there are quite a number of folks in Richmond with some black common sense, and I appreciate that very, very much. And I'm very glad to be a part of this festival coming up on October 27th. And uh, I'd just like to... Based on what we've been talking about, let's see, I'll drop a little poem for the folks in the listening audience. 
They lied and we cried. Then we tried to understand why they kidnapped us away from the motherland. We were brought here to serve and build a nation for them. America was shining bright while our dreams were growing dim. They lied and we cried. Then we tried to keep the faith that the God they gave us would help us all escape. But the color was wrong and he didn't have a beat. So we juiced him up and put some soul in his feet. They lied and we cried. Then we tried to overcome from the back of the bus where they told us we were dumb. We got the king on the case, started preaching the truth. We're on a mission from God, and our presence is the proof. They lied and we cried. Then we tried to integrate, bring up the beauty of love, put down the ugly of hate. They gave a ticket to some Negroes to ride mainstream and a grand illusion of the American dream. Put the brothers in the slams and the sisters on the street, made a mockery of man for us to glorify the weak. They lied and we cried. Then we tried to question why, but thousands Thousands of years they built upon a lie from rock and roll right to the pyramids. They could never give us credit for the great things we did. They lied. So that's what the Africans would be the Africans and rich were gonna be raining, waiting for you to come. And on top of that, with you being in the house and Cuba also would be in the house, there's gonna be a dynamic festival on uh, Sunday, October the twenty seventh. At uh, Afro Congo, 3302 Williamsburg Road. Spread the word, be there. We'd like to thank you, African. We'll stay in touch. And uh, yes. we're going to take a special break. And when we come back, we will just do a final closing thought for today's program. We've been having a con- conversation with Baba Baba Abi Odun on the last port. We'll be right back. We thank you. Crying out. 
Conversation with Baba Adu, Baba Abidu, for last point, and we're gonna start off with him with his final thoughts for tonight. And again, audience, we need your support. African Women's Association needs your support now. You can do that several ways. You can go to the um, GoFundMe website and type in Richmond First Pan African International Festival. It will take you to that page and make your general donation. So if we have support the brother, we can have support the work of the African Women's Association, please do that. Either that method or you can go cash amp. The green background with the little right symbol. You can cash amp to 804-319-9289. 804-319-9289. Or just send it to our P.O. Box. African Women's Association, P.O. Box 4433, Virginia, 2322-0. P.O. Box 4433, Richmond, Virginia, 23220. That's for the old school. We don't like to do all this technology stuff, but we need your support to help make this thing a reality. So our final thoughts for tonight, Baba, your final thoughts. Well, uh, thank, I thank you for having me on your show, and I hope that the people who are listening gain, gain some information that they uh, maybe were missing uh, about some things that we said. I hope that it made a difference in some people's lives. And I'm looking forward very much to seeing you on the 27th. And if for some, if the gods or the ancestors deem it possible for us to go to Cuba together, I'd be more than willing and happy to do that. 
because that's the trip that I have put on my list of things to do, but I haven't gotten around to doing it. So it would be wonderful to go with a bunch of conscious people because we have that much more to talk about and share. So I really appreciate the brothers who called in and asked some good questions, especially the brother who asked about the meaning of my name because not too many people go deep like that, but that's important because we need to know all of the little aspects of who we are and how we came to be how we came to be conscious of who we are. So that was also revealed tonight, and I appreciate the opportunity. And thank you very much, Brother Lee, for just uh, including me in on a beautiful evening this Sunday. And we thank you for your great contribution, not only to this program, but to humanity. We thank you. Oh, thank okay, you. let's continue with our panelists. Closing thought, Baba Moses. Okay. Um, um, yes, it was a wonderful um, being uh, being able to hear um, this educational uh, uh, program, um, and I, I appreciate that. And uh, I hope I hope that things continue to go well in terms of uh, uh, the brothers' pursuit and. Uh, Anyway, have a good evening. Thank you. Thank, thank you, Brother Moses. Brother Anthony, your final thoughts for tonight. My final thought for tonight is um, is that in the situation we're in today, it is more important than ever for all of all African people to join an organization that is working for our people's liberation. You can find out more about the All African People's Revolutionary Party, GC, by visiting our website at www.a-aprp-gc.org. Thanks. Thank you, Brother Anthony. And Brother Hattie, talk again a little bit about the various activities, the trip to Cuba and the festival, and why the Africans should come out for the African Day that is on Sunday, October 27th in Richmond, Virginia. All Africans who are over in this area, in this region, they need to be there or else they are a wet square. Brother Hackey, talk to us. Yeah. Uh, the trip to Cuba, October 31st, November 6th. Uh, for information, please give us a call at 549-7492, area code 804, or area code 202 or email us at African Awareness Association, number two, at gmail.com. And the usefulness in terms of attending this festival is, is also um, the same as applies to uh, trip to Cuba. Uh, one of the things that we got to acknowledge that you know, we're in real trouble. I mean, particularly when you talk about the economy, which says that uh, growth is the most important thing in the world. Well, what happens to the economy in which growth is not possible? What happened to a, a system in which, you know, all the wealth is accrued to the very small minority of people? It means that growth is simply not possible, and particularly when you think about those people who have access to wealth don't do anything in terms of investing in wealth in terms of growth. So, therefore, we talk about economy is systematically uh, deconstructing throughout the world. And because economies are deconstructing throughout the world, you find millions, of, millions upon millions of people who, as far as the system is concerned, uh, uh, existence is superfluous. In other words, there has to be some way in terms of eliminating lots and lots of people in which the system no longer leads, simply because all those people living uh, does nothing in terms of enhancing the bottom line. In fact, in terms of the elite, 
those people's existence has a deleterious impact on the bottom line. And, of course, in the context of capitalism, when you talk about the bottom line being the most important thing of all, and anything that's going to distract from the take from that bottom line must be destroyed. I hope people understand the fundamental that fundamental reality in terms of when we talk about this the system that we currently live under. So it's important that we get to Q and we we, we, we we talk to other people around the world. You get a thorough understanding in terms of something what's going on. And maybe to them some understanding in terms of what the system they're doing in their country in terms of addressing, you know, these systemic wrongs that are being perpetuated by, by the West. So we, we encourage people for both events to come out to go. And, um, you know, um, so we think that um, either way, whether you're in Cuba or at the Festival in Richmond, you can learn a tremendous amount of information that normally you may not be, uh, 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 have access to. So having said that, Brother Africa, you know, I'm going to something call it a night, and uh, we'll see you next week. Thank you, Brother Hackey. Thank all the panelists. Thank our special guest, Brother LaBarba Abioni. And we'd like to last four, and we'd like to thank you, the listening audience, for allowing us to come to your homes this evening where we can speak truth to power and to provide you information so you can use it as a tool for liberation, to help liberate your people, but more importantly, to help use it as a tool to help liberate all of humanity from these various forms of oppression. But we do make a special call to the listening audience to support these activities by going to GoFundMe and type in Richmond First Pan African International Festival because general donations, or you go cash out, the one with the green background and the little white cash sign, and send it to 804-319-9289, or just outright send it to African Women Association, P.O. Box 4433, Richmond, Virginia, 23220. They need your support. Africa on the Move is a community project of the African Awareness Association. We come, we come on every Sunday evening from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern Time, and you can shine in on us on every Sunday. Please do that. Share the word. Let the people know that we're here. This station's for you. Until next time, we want you to continue to go forward, Apple, backwards, Apple. And remember, as Brother Michael Jackson once taught us, they don't care about us, but we do care about ourselves. So this is why we have it after day on September, I mean on October the 27th, 2019, October 27th, 2019 at the Afro Congo in Richmond, Virginia, 3302 Williamsburg Road, outside from 11 a.m. to 6.30 p.m. Be there or be square. We'll see you next week. Michael, eles não ligam pra gente.